Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Podcast and the Times. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times radio show, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. Only a few weeks to go until the US election. I'm hosting the Overnight Results show on Times Radio and I need you if you are in America. Uh, if you want to be one of our special correspondents, we want to, basically we want to try and find a listener in every state in the US if we can. So if you are listening to this podcast in America, and we know that thousands of you do, uh, email me matt.shawley at times.radio and we'll get you on the radio at some point. Now then, back to British politics. Uh, nothing is given as freely as advice, as they say. And Allegra Stratton, who's been named the Prime Minister's new press secretary, fronting these these new number 10 daily televised briefings. Well, she's been inundated with unsolicited and not entirely benevolent advice on how to do the job. But it, maybe it's worth her listening to those who have gone before. The dozen or so people alive who've been there, done that, and wondered if being shouted at by a group of journalists daily is the way to earn a living. For decades, every weekday when Parliament was sitting, the press secretary's briefed lobby journalists based in Parliament. The, the job sometimes has been held by an impartial civil servant, sometimes by a political adviser. Sometimes it's been split to have a, one of each. Well, I've been speaking to six former press secretaries, to the last six Prime Ministers, covering the past... 40 years. This is what the press secretaries had to say. Bernard Ingham, I was Mrs Thatcher's press secretary from 1979 until she left in 1990. I resolved from the very beginning that I would play straight with them if they played straight with me. And I saw my job as primarily to put over the government's message to create an informed press and public about the government's policies and measures and to um, advise ministers and officials on their presentation. I'm Gus O'Donnell. I was the press secretary to John Major when he was prime minister, 1990 to 94. You're basically there to persuasively present the government's program. I think the essence is it's all about breadth, not depth, and understanding the drivers for journalists, you know, the fact that you want them to talk about all of the successes of the government and they want to talk about the failures. So it's a challenge every day and the agenda is changing rapidly. It's one of the hardest jobs I've ever had, I'll be honest. Tom Kelly and I went into the job immediately after the June election in 2001 and continued until Tony Blair left in June 2007. For me, government is all about joining up rhetoric and reality. And the spokesperson job is, if you like, the linchpin of that. Because in part, what you're there to do is articulate the government's policy but to do so in a way that tries to make sense of it and also tries to align with the reality as people are experiencing it, wherever that may be. And therefore, that's the constant tension 
And the part of the job that people see is you explaining policy to the lobby. The part they don't see, but which I actually think is more important, is you then going back into number 10 and saying, this makes sense, that doesn't make sense, we have to think more about that. I'm Simon Lewis. I was Director of Communications and the Prime Minister's official spokesman at Number 10 from 2009 to 2010, working for Gordon Brown. For me, the job was essentially three buckets, really. One, to be the Prime Minister's senior advisor on all aspects of communications, which is quite a personal role. I think it's very important to focus on that as a, as a key part of it. Secondly, to brief the lobby twice a day when Parliament is sitting and then on the road. And then thirdly, to actually oversee the Number 10 Press Office, which is a very effective part of the civil service machine. Gabby Burton, I was Press Secretary for David Cameron from 2010 to 2012. Well, when I was doing the job, you were essentially the sort of uh, go-between between him, the journalists, and you were obviously the, the mouthpiece. You were his voice. You were the voice for the government and you, your responsibility was to make sure that you delivered the government's message in a clear and effective way. When I was doing it, I was walking around the lobby. I was quite keen to have a lot of face-to-face -face and to go and see people in person. I think the way it's done now has changed a huge amount because of the way we communicate has changed. You know, um, we, we were barely on Twitter when I was doing my job. I'm Paul Harrison, Downing Street Press Secretary under Theresa May from 2017 to 2019. When I was doing it, the job, I suppose, was a combination of willing mouthpiece and hopefully a bit of an advisor on comms issues too. So you get both a certain amount of input into what the message should be or how you communicate a particular policy, but you also then have to be the, you're the person that fronts it up. Even this hasn't always been the case, though. In Bernard Ingham's day, he was a civil servant, but he was never quoted directly. In my day, officials were backroom boys and ministers were frontline people. Um, and I think it's a great pity that it doesn't still exist. Over the years, things changed, though. The press secretary started being quoted on the record, if not by name. And as far back as 2009, Simon Lewis was trying to do what Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings have now done and televised the daily lobby briefings. I came to it really fairly quickly because there's a huge amount of work that goes into preparing for those twice daily briefings. It seemed to me there was a huge amount of input going into these briefings. And apart from the briefings themselves and some coverage, it, there was a misalignment of resources and output. So my thinking was that the number 10 should be more of that information that's prepared. And one way of doing that would be to actually make it more widely available, perhaps via a podcast, but actually to make it more accessible. And how do you make politics more accessible? Well, making sure it's covered on television. Actually, I remember sitting on a press gallery working group of journalists from national newspapers and TV and broadcasters and regionals and so on. Uh, but back then, the lobby was really resistant to the idea. And even a decade ago, they still had the power. Number 10 really still needed print journalists to get their message out. When I was working, running the, the, the press operation and as the official spokesman, the traditional media definitely had a much stronger grip on the way relationships worked. And obviously, since then, there's been the Leveson inquiry, there's been an opening up of the kind of the way the media operates within the political sphere. And I do think that the the advent of online media and coverage has definitely also opened up the relationship with Number 10. Uh, I always found the lobby briefings quite kind of formal and traditional. I was quite surprised, particularly as I came in as a complete outsider, 
uh, that all the kind of unwritten rules that made the lobby work were kind of grounded in a, a changing era anyway. So I do think there's been a shift in the balance of power a bit. Briefing journalists is a serious business, particularly at times of conflict. The information you pass on or don't can be a matter of life and death, as Bernard Ingham recalls. The Falklands War was incredibly difficult because of inevitably the secrecy, inevitably because it was one of the most hazardous undertakings you could, military undertakings you could imagine. Uh, you were living, as it were, on the edge of a volcano, hoping that you never got it wrong, because if you did, lives were at stake. The same was also true for Tom Kelly during the Blair years. I think the worst thing is always around the human tragedies, and that could be in, a, in my own native of Northern Ireland, or that could be in Iraq. The realisation, and I think this is something which you have to take with you each and every day, that what you say actually can have a direct effect on people's lives. And when Iraq didn't go the way we hoped it went to, I think that did have an impact on all of us from the Prime Minister down. And as spokesperson, you feel that because you are, in one sense, even if in a minor sense, the voice of the government. As well as briefing the media in London, the press secretary also travels with the Prime Minister. Gabby Burton warns that things can go wrong abroad as well. Oh, well, the worst thing, I suppose, is um, when we first went to Afghanistan, that was it, and we briefed out too much about something that had happened. We, we, we had to land our um, helicopters uh, rather unexpectedly because they'd kind of got some chatter over the radio, over the airwaves, and... I told the journalists that and they obviously, you know, printed it or, or, or put it out, out there. And, and that was um, not at all helpful. So I was sort of, I was worried I was going to be court martialed at one point. I was sort of dragged aside and, and given the hairdryer treatment by um, someone in the army. That, I think, was my lowest point. The relationship with the Prime Minister is crucial. I asked Bernard Ingham what Margaret Thatcher thought of journalists. Um, and not a lot. <laughs> uh, she she once sniffed at me, and I thought, being a, a journalist of 18 years before I went into the civil service, she once said that uh, a journalist, bah, uh, brittle, insubstantial people who've never achieved much in their lives. Um, so I thought I was suitably put in my place. And secondly, she used to say, get the policy right and presentation will take care of itself, which was absolute nonsense. She had to be persuaded uh, to take the media seriously. Uh, but of course, when she did take them seriously, she usually put on a pretty good performance. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app, or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For Gus O'Donnell, working for John Major, trust was the most important thing. You work very closely with the Prime Minister and you develop a strong bond and there's an absolute need for there to be trust on both sides. And I really enjoyed that aspect of it and uh, and was very happy uh, working with uh, John Major and the Prime Minister um, because I think there was mutual trust. Now, I know it's hard to believe, and obviously this won't happen with the new press secretary, but sometimes ideas have been announced without them being wholly thought through. No wonder Tom Kelly says that the system works best as a two-way conversation between journalists and the government. One of my very distinct memories is trying to announce that we were in effect abolishing the Scottish office and the Welsh office. And during the lobby, the political end of The Guardian said, well, uh, Tom, that's all very well, but aren't those offices written into legislation? And therefore, aren't you going to have to change all the legislation? And as he spoke, as Michael White spoke, I had this vision of a, a workman unscrewing the screws of the nameplates at the Scottish office and the Welsh office and then beginning to put them back in again because clearly we hadn't thought about it. And I went back into number 10 and I said to Jeremy Hayward, I think we have a problem. And his uh, response was um, unbroadcastable. From her time working for David Cameron, Gabby Burton argued that the press secretary needs to be part of the decision-making process. My advice would be that you've got to be in the room when the decisions are made. You have got to be part of that whole decision-making process because otherwise you're just reading out a press release and you can soon come unstuck in these briefings. Of course, you're not expected to explain every spit and, spit and dribble, but you have to really understand why you've got to that end point. Things will always go wrong, though. This is Tom Kelly. And the funny was about um, telling Blair that he had been recorded uh, exchanging what he thought were private views with um, Bush in St Petersburg. Uh, and Blair, um, Bush saying, you're Blair. I had to break the news. <laughs> the lobby hunts in a pack. When they smell blood or a story, nothing will deter them. Back in 2009, Gordon Brown headed to a G20 summit in America where he would be hailed for saving the global economy after the financial crisis. Well, that's what Simon Lewis, as his spin doctor, had hoped. I think the worst that happened to me, uh, looking back, was actually now, looking back, quite amusing, was what became known as the Obama bilateral. And this was when the Prime Minister went to Pittsburgh for the G20 summit, which it was the summit, essentially, to agree the reform of the world's financial system on the back of the financial crisis. And there was a and Gordon Brown had a very lead role in that. And I think there was a feeling in number 10 that this was a really good moment for the prime minister. I believe that if we take the right decisions and work together, we are in the business of creating for the first time in human history 
a truly global society. What quickly became clear is that the lobby, and when the lobby is on the road, is both at its best and at its worst, the lobby decided that wasn't the story they wanted to write, that the Prime Minister saved the financial system. What they wanted to write was that the Prime Minister was trying to get a bilateral meeting with President Obama. What I realise is that much as you may prepare for these visits and all the excellent stories you want to get out, if the lobby is minded to pursue a certain story, then it does. And uh, it even became known as uh, the brush-by story and whether or not a bilateral was going to be available or was it going to be a brush-by or as was speculated, would the Prime Minister have to end up meeting the President in the kitchen of a, of a hotel? I have to say there were times during that visit where I sat thinking, all the best work in the world, <laughs> if the lobby wants to get a story up and running which has got nothing to do with your narrative, then there's not a lot you can do. Journalists aren't all bad, though. Sometimes they can come to your rescue, as Gus O'Donnell recalls. My worst day as press secretary of the PM will be something that another of the press secretaries will remember vividly. Was Black Wednesday with John Major. wasn't exactly a triumph for the government. Being told by the then Prime Minister John Major to stay with Norman Lamont, who was going to announce uh, our departure from the exchange rate mechanism in the courtyard of the Treasury. Today has been an extremely difficult and turbulent day. And I remember to this day, all the media being there, setting up cameras and the like. And I was there to make sure that the Chancellor, Norman Lamont, didn't resign because then it would have fallen back on the Prime Minister. And the picture was the Kosherin camera, because it was up high, had the Chancellor, Norman Lamont, and then it went down to a drain. And that looked terrible, Chancellor going down the drain with the government. And the person that pointed that out to me was a journalist who you might not have thought was most friendly with the Conservative Party, a chap called Alistair Campbell. Paul Harrison's time working for Theresa May was perhaps even more eventful. The single thing that makes the job hardest is surprises. There's no quick fix to doing it. The, the way to be good at that job, the way to be good at doing on-the-record briefings is preparation. Anything that limits your preparation time or that means that you can't prepare makes it a lot harder. The single worst thing that happened to me, it was the PM's first conference speech when I started working there. The stage fell down. She lost her voice totally. There was a certain amount of water spillage as she tried to get it back. There was a weird invading comedian that gave her a P45. The whole thing was just a complete disaster. Ten years after Northern Rock, <coughs> our economy is back on track. The deficit is back to pre-crisis levels. Sounds as if my voice isn't on track. <coughs> no one remembers this, but the speech itself was quite personal. So the PM, who's quite a, you know, Theresa is quite a reticent person in public. And she talked about things like the, her regret at not being able to have children. And I've memorised five points that I wanted people, I wanted the lobby to take away from the speech to try and shape their coverage. And I was going to recite them at the start of the briefing immediately afterwards. Obviously, during the hour-long course of the speech actually being delivered on the stage by Theresa, all these things had gone wrong. And so it soon became apparent that those five points weren't really what I was going to be asked anymore. And so I just ended up slightly meekly, I think, this lone figure walking out uh, in front of probably 60 lobby hacks, I'd say, uh, including Yuma. And 
sort of just saying instead of the heartfelt points or the policy detail just saying um a, a man has been arrested by greater manchester police for a breach of the peace and and that was really all i could say and everybody sort of looked at me thinking that i was going to say something else maybe to pad it out and i just sort of clutched my pad to my chest like an ineffective shield and said go on then and we just got you know questions about the pm's mood having you know the stage having literally fallen down around her um so yeah that was probably the worst moment because it was one of those acts of i couldn't do anything good there was absolutely nothing i could say that was helpful but if i'd kind of indicated that the pm was i don't know personally disappointed by the way it had gone or was you know been upset by it despite the fact everybody could see that that would just be me throwing more flames on the fire so it's one of those strange experiences where you're sort of pretending that you're not standing in front of everybody wearing a clown hat and with your trousers on fire but but that is very much what you're doing so what advice can our group of former press secretaries working for six prime ministers who span 40 years give Allegra Stratton as she prepares to do the job they did, but in the glare of the TV cameras. Bernard Ingham. Uh, my strong advice is don't, and I think that Parliament, to defend its supremacy, should create a, such a fuss that they abandon the whole idea. You don't need that to communicate. Uh, it's all this preoccupation with putting officials up instead of ministers. It should be a minister. It should not be an official. And I pity whoever it is, uh, bearing in mind the incoherence of government policy at the moment. This from Gus O'Donnell, who is press secretary for John Major. The worst thing that can happen is you become the story. That is a disaster. And... That's why I'd say the second worst thing is that you get caught on camera and you're televised because then you become, uh, you become a profile, people get to know you, and that's why I think televising the, the new spokesman is such a dreadful idea. You be, it becomes a big profile person. Uh, you will be on television more than many cabinet ministers. That's not right. You're not elected. What do you do next? And it place to the egos which is the last thing you want. This is Tony Blair's former press secretary Tom Kelly. My advice is simple remember it works best when it's a conversation not a PR platform. If you try to make headlines with every single lobby you will very quickly find out that you're running out of credibility because you have to be convincing and to be convincing you have to have an argument and part of having an argument is that you have to be prepared to acknowledge the other side of the table have valid points and engage with those. If you're trying simply to sell a line, then it won't work. Simon Lewis, who is Press Secretary and Director of Communications for Gordon Brown. Good luck. Um, but actually, more important, I think three things. First of all, and this is what I found when I did the job, uh, not the job of the televised briefs would generally gain the confidence of the Prime Minister as quickly as possible because you cannot do a job like this without having the confidence of the Prime Minister because whether it's televised briefings or lobby briefings, lobby journalists will very quickly sense whether or not you're speaking with the authority of the Prime Minister or not. And I had a very good working relationship with Gordon Brown, so I felt that was the case. But if that isn't the case, it makes the job very challenging. 
secondly, just don't take it personally because lobby briefings, televised briefings can be fairly rumbustious affairs. I think whoever does this job needs to kind of have the ability to to step back and say this is not personal because there is a kind of sometimes even with televised briefings a bear pit atmosphere. Uh, and thirdly, just have a good team around you so that when you do go into the briefings, you can both deal with the day's issues, but anticipate particularly the way that stories are going to develop, because that I think is the real skill of that role, to be slightly ahead of the agenda, so you're able to sort of shape the narrative as well as just respond to what's coming at you. Gabby Burton, who was Press Secretary for David Cameron in opposition and in government. So you have to try and bat off hostile questioning with, with charm and resilience and, and not get too hot under the collar. And I think that is a challenge because um, certainly I, uh, you know, you, you guys could wind me up and uh, you can't do that when you're on camera. Finally, some advice from Paul Harrison, who is Press Secretary for Theresa May. Lots of people will think of it as a poison chalice, but there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that whatever this person's career experience is and whatever they do after they finish the job, it will be the most interesting thing they ever do in their life. So even on the grim days, and there will be lots of them, don't wish it away, enjoy what you're doing. The other thing is that every now and again, you get a certain amount more license to spin a line that isn't particularly brilliant if you can do it in a slightly funny way. So it's harder on television, I suppose, but always, always aim for a little bit of humour if you can, uh, because every now and again, sort of weary lobby hacks will give you that little bit more license if you do. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box podcast. Uh, you can now listen back to my whole show on the Times Radio app, where you can also now listen to all of the Times podcasts, including Red Box 2. Make sure you subscribe and review at the Red Box podcast wherever you listen. But for now, from me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.